I feel like we just need to, to let that hang in the room just for a minute. Not only beautiful words, but beautiful melody that's been put to it. And, and guys, uh, thank you so much for the praise that you have been given today. I tell you, when you're up front, it's, uh, it's great to be able just to hear all the voices coming together, but especially, especially on a song like that, and just to, to now kind of let that hang with the idea of the love of God being what dominates our life and what, what directs the paths that, um, that we take. Man, it's beautiful. Thanks so much for being here this morning, everybody. If your travels have brought you here, thank you for taking the time to join us. If, if you accepted the invitation of a friend, we are, we are grateful that you said yes and came to, to be here. And we hope that uh, no matter what has brought you here into our midst today, that the time that we spend together in moments like we have already had, being able to being able to encourage one another with these songs that, that focus on the relationship that we have with God, to, to be able to, to think about how that God's, God's plan was completed through Jesus Christ and how we are the recipients and, and are able to enjoy what happens when a good plan comes together. This time that we are here, we pray that it's going to be something that will help change you. We pray it will be something that will lift you up and keep you going for the week that is to come. That's the, that's the genius, I believe, of God's wisdom with encouraging those who are followers of his son to come together. It's not to give him praise. I don't know if you realize that or not. Uh, our, our lives are the praise that we give to God each and every, each and every day. And, and yes, we come here and we praise God. That's part of the things that we do. But, but we come together in order to encourage one another towards love and good deeds. And I hope that hope you're going to be encouraged in that way today. And it's been great to be here and to be a part. And, and just a quick note to say that, man, it is, um, it is great to be able to say that uh, today marks the, um, uh, our 13th anniversary for me and Miss Tanya and Micah and Emily of being here and a part of this congregation and being able to um, serve in the role that I have here. And um, thank you. Uh, normally, I always uh, remember this day because it's VBS time, but VBS is still going to be in a few weeks. Um, so nobody dressed up for me today in costumes like they did the first year that, that I rolled into campus, but we're going to be doing that together in a few weeks. But man, it has been a great, a great ride with so many of you to be able to participate in what God has been doing through this place, and it's hard to believe that it's been 13 years. I'm thankful that we are through the 13th year because that just... 13? I mean, that, that's not a good number, you know, so I'm glad. Man, we're done with that one. Year 14, here we come. So it's going to, it's going to be great. And so I appreciate and thank you again, all of you, for the way that you have welcomed our family. Continue to do that. And um, this is not a job. This is just being a part of a family, and I'm glad I, get to, uh, glad I get to share this time with you. So let's talk about something together today as a family. Uh, we are in a current series called Embrace Your Space, and we are in this series because we're striving as a church family to improve our response to the changes that we just see that is going on around us. And, and the way in which we are responding to the new normals, don't you, don't you love that, that phrase that has continued ever since the pandemic, the new normals that change brings to our lives? The writer of Ecclesiastes there in chapter 3 reminds us that for every time, for everything, there is a season, a time for every activity under heaven. And then with a unique insight, the wise sage choreographs what really plays out as a dance that depicts the past, present, and 
future of our human existence. He says there is a time to be born and a time to die. A time to plant and a time to harvest. A time to kill and a time to heal. A time to tear down and a time to build up. Can, can you see the rhythm that the writer is using here? A time to cry and a time to laugh. A time to grieve, but he says there's also a time to dance. A time to scatter stones and a time to, to gather stones. A time to embrace and a time to turn away. A time to search and a time to quit searching. A time to keep and a time to throw away. A time to tear and a time to mend. A time to be quiet and a time to speak. A time to love and a time to hate. A time for war and a time for peace. He choreographs the dance of our lives because our lives are always moving from one time, from one space to another. It's continual. It's how God dispenses our life. And we all understand this on an intellectual level. We do. We get it. In nature, spring turns to summer and then summer to fall. Fall then will fade into winter, but then winter will give birth again to spring. We understand this, and so we don't go and start hoarding whenever the leaves begin to turn from green to orange or the temperatures begin to decrease. And we know that with each turn of the calendar, that means a, a new year is going to be added to our, to our age, and that means a few more wrinkles to our body. Intellectually, we get this. We're continually moving, dancing from one time, from one space to another. We understand this, but emotionally, now that's a different story. Because knowing something will change, but then accepting and adapting to that change are two totally different things. For some of you, you have known that the world and your space, the, the place that you inhabit, that there's a change that is taking place. It was imperceptible at first. You, you really didn't notice anything, but then you began to see small points of divergence within society and culture, and now these things began to look and respond differently than they did before. It began to seem as if there was just this new set of rules that were in place, and someone forgot to give you the rule book especially for those places that you inhabit most. When you go into the workplace, when you stay at home, the, the church atmosphere that you've been a part of, eventually your old world expectations did not align with your new normal, your new world realities. And you've been aware that this transition, this dance, this movement from, from one space and one time into another, you've been aware of it, but it's just been hard to put your finger on it. You wonder sometimes what's been happening around you. And we're not talking about the natural changes that just occur decade by decade. Fans, our fads come and go, and we understand this. As, and for the most part, we kind of roll with these changes, except for Jeremy, who is still stuck in the 80s. That's okay. I'm right there with him. I was hoping he was going to mention ALF. I mean, that was a great, man, great show. But we don't get real emotionally all torn up when all of a sudden these fads begin to change. Um, uh, take, for example, just some clothing changes that have happened through the years. Do, how many of you remember this, right? How many of you remember, remember that, that, that look? Some of you, maybe you still have some of that in your closet. I don't know. But, but that, that was the look. You opened the JCPenney catalog. 
The Sears catalog. Now I know that I've just lost about three quarters of the audience. But if, if you open that catalog, this is what you would see. And then some of you thought, man, I've got to put that on my Christmas list. Right? Got to put that on my Christmas list. Now, sadly, some of this is coming back, right? You guys noticed uh, the, the kids all of a sudden, they're like, hey, bell bottoms. I thought that was a new thing. What's going on? They're, they're starting to come back. But Jeremy, look, if they're going to bring anything back, here's what they need to bring back. Show, show the next one. Can I get an oh yeah with that? Those of you that grew up with Miami Vice. I mean, I'm pretty sure I have that outfit right there that, that's in front. I mean, I, I have that one. And that, that was a great look. Give me some Crockett and Tubbs, right? I mean, that is, that, that is the look. But, but those styles, they, they, they change. And, and, and none of us went out like our hair was on fire and, and just couldn't, couldn't understand what to do. We didn't go lock ourselves in the basement all because those, those things changed. And how about the way that we communicate now? Did you know that we have an entire generation now who has grown up without one of these? Yeah, we have an entire generation. We, we have a group now of adults that have never known a phone that hangs on the wall with a cord, right? They have never seen mom stand there and hold that cord and just flop it back and forth. They, they, they don't know that. They, they, don't, they don't know that. They've never had the, the, the phone ring, and, and it's like their turn to answer it, and them not know who's going to be on the other end. But they don't. We have a whole group of adults now that don't, that don't understand that. Now, we also have people who don't know what this is. Now, this right here was when, I mean, you were cool if you had one of these, right? I mean... You didn't have anybody to call, but you had one of these in your car. You had the bag phone just in case, right? I can remember going to college just hoping I would have an emergency. Because my parents had told me, you only use this for emergency. You remember how much it cost to make a, a call on one of those things? And so it was like, you don't use this unless, I mean, there is no other option. The Lord returned, and you thought he didn't get the message across. So you, you're, you're going to call somebody and let him know. But yeah, so, so we went from the, the, the phone that was on the wall to a phone that you could carry in your car. And, and then, of course, we all recognize this evolution, right? I mean, j just look at how the, the, the cell phones have, have changed and what you can actually do. That first phone up there, all you could do, kids, was make a call. That was it. Couldn't do anything else. You couldn't text. You couldn't watch a video. You could not play games on the first cell phone, guys. None. All you could do was talk on it. That was it. And yet, as we have progressed, and as we have changed the way that we communicate, all of you still seem to be functioning all right. You seem to be able to have survived. You've made it. Now, you might not be happy about it, and, and, and you might wish that, that we still had the phone that was on the wall because you just like that, you like that cord. But, but you understand things, things change. And, and let me give you one more. I think this was a picture of myself and Tanya 13 years ago when we first came here. <laughs> We've changed a lot. I mean, it's been a rough 13 years, guys. I mean, that was what... <laughs> that's what we look like. 
Hey, uh, just show of hands, how many of you had a similar hairstyle? Go ahead, raise your hand. Renee, get your hand up higher. I know you did, yes, yeah. Let's get that hand up. So some of you guys, uh, some of you guys are looking, especially our teens, they're like, I'm trying for that look right now. <laughs> yeah, for the guys, th- this, this whole, you know, business in the front, party in the back thing, it is coming back. It is. It, it's coming back around. Case in point, there's this guy, Jackson Crane. Jackson Crane is from Columbia, Tennessee. And Jackson Crane is going to participate in the USA National Mullet Championship in the 9 through 12-year-old age bracket. Yes, he is. And so you can Google Jackson. You can go online and you can support him. You can. You can go online and support Jackson. So why don't we do that, all right? Why don't we do that? Um, Just go ahead and Google Jackson Crane. Go ahead and get that out of your system. Find him. You can find the site for USA national mullet championship and you can support jackson in this look that he is having right here now these styles we understand that they come and they go and some of them man we're glad to see them go others it's like man we wish that they would come back but here's what we need to be clear on what we are experiencing right now in our society is not a change in fads but the transition of paradigms The very way of perceiving and participating in our shared existence is changing. We're not talking about clothes. It's not not phones. There is a new operating system to use words that maybe we're more familiar with because of our technological focus society. A new operating system is being downloaded into our culture. The deck just isn't being reshuffled like hairstyles can be. The deck is being replaced. And it's impacting our value systems. It's going to change our economic models. It's having an influence on world politics. It's, well, artificial intelligence. You guys are hearing a lot more about that, right? A new era in which there will be the normal seasons of life. During this era that we are stepping into, there are going to be normal seasons where there's going to be fads and there's going to be clothing styles and hairstyles and all these other styles that come and go. But we are stepping into a new era. It's a new paradigm, a new way of seeing the world. And currently, we live in what some call a liminal space. The space that's in between, this, this gray zone that we've mentioned. And we're standing in the doorway. We've got one foot in the world that was, and we've got another foot in the world that is. And Mark Sayers, in his book, A Non-Anxious Presence, writes that this gray moment, this in-between space, this time that we are in, is one in which the very structure of society is shifting. And he says, our gray zone will not be a fleeting moment, but rather an indefinite period of ongoing disruption and instability as the patterns that have defined the world for the last half century are radically reshaped. That's what we're going through right now. And so if you've experienced anxiety over the last 10 to 15, even 20 years, and you're like, something is just changing around me. I'm not for sure what it is, and I think it's more than just style. Well, you, you're catching on. You're, you're, you're experiencing that, and that anxiety is real. But as Christians, we've been called to, by God to navigate the disruption and the instability around us with the faith and the hope and the love that comes from being followers and disciples of Jesus Christ. 
And for many of you, the change that you're experiencing, I understand it is more personal than existential. It's more micro than macro. And I heard from you this past week, after we spoke, spoke last Sunday about the, that gray zone and about that in-between space, you, you came and you talked to me about how you're going from being married to being unmarried, how you're going from one career to another, from, from one location living, having your home to another location. And look, no matter how you relate to your space, as you look at this picture and you think about this gray zone and the world that was and the world that is, whether it is physical or philosophical as you're thinking about it, I hope you can understand that, look, every transition and every adjustment and every crossroad and every U-turn and every gray space and every space in between is the opportunity for God to impact that space through you. And you now have the opportunity to be an instrument and a catalyst for good in a new neighborhood, a new space, and a new way of operating. It's not right. It's not wrong. It's just new. And it just is. It's the world that is. And as we stand in this gray zone, it's a highly anxious time. And our natural response is to, to have flight, to, to flee, or to freeze. But what I'm trying to do with this series is to encourage us all to embrace the space. To embrace that space. That's what I want you to choose to do. That space that's there in the middle. I, I want you to choose to, to embrace that, that place. See, we began this conversation and I briefly shared with you three things that I think we can do all right now as we are in this space, this gray zone. And it's going to impact us and the way that we're living and it's also going to impact all those who are in this space with us. And then I said each week we're just going to kind of delve in at a little bit deeper level. So last week we focused in on praying where we are, and I ask you, if you remember, to commit to praying for God to what? Bless your space, right? We said, God, bless our space. And next week we're going to spotlight giving what we have. But today, just for a few more minutes, we're going to consider how, how best to love who we can. To love who we can. One night in the upper room, Jesus told his disciples, I will be with you only a little while longer. I'm going to be with you only a little while longer. And to say that they were shocked would be an, an understatement. All of a sudden, they were stepping themselves through a new doorway. They were leaving the world that was, a world that was filled with optimism, and a world that was filled with popularity, and a world that, let's just be honest, was filled with hope for them. And they were entering the world that is that was filled with, well, they didn't know what it was going to be filled with. All they knew was that Jesus was not going to be present. You see, that night, Jesus handed his friends a cup of major transition. And I think it's a reminder for each of us that even those who were closest with God get their apple cart all turned over. We go through times of, of chaos and confusion with one another. And then what do we do when that happens? When our plans are dashed and when our expectations are violated, when our optimism begins to turn to anxiety, well, often what we do, we go into protection mode. And we begin to lash out against anything and anyone that we perceive to be responsible for the situation that we're in. And all of a sudden, we become like your cat when it gets cornered. All the claws come out, and we do whatever is necessary to survive. Congregational systems consultant and author Peter L. Steinke observed that the more, as the more anxiety increases, 
the more members of a group use their relationships with one another to handle it. And here's what they do, he says. They blame, they gossip, they keep secrets, they insist on harmony, and they insist on getting one's own way. You see, when change occurs, the anxiety that is brought on by that very change, it actually pushes us further away from other people. And so we begin to close the ranks, so to speak. And it's every man, it's every woman for themselves. And so we, we do. We begin to blame others for the problems that are around us. And we become suspicious of anyone who is different from us. And we demand that everyone share our viewpoint. And we demand that we get our way. Does that sound familiar to anything that you are witnessing in our society right now? Are, are you seeing this in the places that, you are, that you're frequenting? See, when Jesus told his friends that, that their time was going to be short, well, you know that they began to look around and they began to blame probably and wonder who is going to take over the mantle of leadership once Jesus is gone. I mean, after all, they had just been arguing about who in their group was the greatest. So Peter looks around and he begins to size up the competition. He's like, uh-huh, Andrew, I know what you want. You want to be like me. You, you want to have what I have. Matthew starts to wonder how much money they have and if Judas is taking care of it correctly. James and John think, finally, it's going to be our time. Finally, this is going to be our moment. And yeah, Andrew is pondering. He's sitting there wondering, is this the time that he finally gets to step out of his brother's shadow? And Judas, wait a minute, where, where'd Judas go? Is there any reason to think that they approach their gray zone moment differently than we approach ours? And I think it's why the next words from Jesus are so important. He addressed how to survive in the gray zone. I want you to look at how he prepared them for what was coming. Knowing their anxiety and the actions and attitudes that that anxiety could produce, here's what he said. After he told them, look, I'm going to be going, he said, a new command I'm going to give you. Love one another. Okay, that's not really new, is it? Maybe that's what his disciples were thinking. Love one another. We got it, Jesus. Love one another. Wait a minute, I know what's going to come next. Love one another like I love myself. Right, I've, I've heard this before. We've heard it before. They had heard it. And that's what we think, right? That, that we're supposed to, to love others the way that we love ourselves. Because when we read these words in John 13, our good Sunday school minds go into Matthew 22. When Jesus was asked by a lawyer his opinion on what was the greatest command in Scripture. And Jesus says, you need to love God with every fiber of your existence. And then with the same breath, he told the man that he should love his neighbor just like he loved what? Go ahead and say it. Himself. Love God, love people. Well, that's not a new command. We, we know that. The disciples know that. And yet it was new because Jesus wasn't through. He actually defined what love should look like. Sometimes when we have lessons on love, there's always this question that comes. You go out, you get in your car, and it's like, great, we talked about love today, but what in the world does it mean to love somebody? What does that really look like? Well, Jesus said, here's what you're going to do. He says, love one another just as I have loved you. As I have loved you, you now love one another. 
Guys, that's different. That changes things. That changes our space. We no longer are given the option on what love is going to look like. We don't get to decide what it looks like to love somebody else. We love others the way Jesus loved us. You see, he instructed his first students that in his absence, they were to treat one another the way that he treated them. It was personal. You see, when we read, love as I have loved you, we often think about what's coming. And we think about what? The cross, right? We think about, oh, Jesus and his death on the cross and the resurrection. Love like I have loved you. They didn't know about the cross yet. They only knew Jesus personally and how he had loved them over the last three years. And each person in that room could remember a time when Jesus loved them particularly well. Put yourself as a fly on the wall. Picture Jesus saying, Nathaniel, do you remember the day that we met? Remember what you said about me? Can anything good come from Nazareth? Oh, I remember it. You dissed my town, my family, my childhood friends. But Nathaniel, I invited you to be with me anyway. You need to extend that same grace and forgiveness to James and John, to Philip, to everybody that you meet. As I have loved you. So you're saying, Jesus, I should not be so easily angered by other people's prejudices? And that maybe I should stop making snap judgments? about others Jesus are you trying to tell me that I should give people the benefit of the doubt and not make so many assumptions about them that I should stop categorizing people based on where they come from and how they dress and what they look like how they talk that I should recognize that people can change and, and that by sharing space and even by sharing meals with one another that helps facilitate that change Jesus, are you saying that I should invite others to join me on the mission of God? Yes, Nathaniel. I think that's a good place to start. Jesus looks across the table. Hey, Matthew, do you remember when we met? Yes, Rabbi. Do you remember what you were doing? Of course, Rabbi. Everybody remembers what I was doing. I was using the authority of Rome to cover up the fact that I was stealing from my own people. Do you remember what I said to you? Do you remember what I said to you when I saw you sitting there stealing? Yes, Rabbi. You invited me to, to follow you. In those days, people were always nervous if I was following them but you actually wanted me to. Matthew, extend the same grace that I extended to you, to Peter. Give it to Simon. Not Simon Peter, but, but Simon the Zealot. Simon who, who would love to take down the very institution that you used to serve. And give it to Thomas. He's going to need it. And give it to everybody else that you meet the rest of your life. Love as I love you. So Jesus, what you're saying then, if I understand, is that I should invite people into my space whom others avoid. 
I should be willing and even excited to, to share a meal with individuals whose, whose life choices I don't necessarily agree with. I should invite those who are far away from God and, and struggling with their identity to join me for Passover. Is that, is that what you're saying? That I should be kind and compassionate to the person with whom I have so very little in common? Yes, Matthew. You should do that and so much more. You know, I think one by one, Jesus could have gone through that room and he could have had a conversation very similar to those with, with every one of the disciples. He could have walked down memory lane reminding them of the patience and the forgiveness and the kindness and the hospitality that he shared with them, ending with go and do likewise. And as they moved into that new normal of a life, Jesus wanted them to resist the urge to turn on one another and to label and to divide. They were to treat one another the way Jesus had personally treated them. And Jesus said that if they did that, that if they act, actually acted in that way, if they shared with each other and others that same patient, that same kind, that same accepting love that Jesus had shared with them, he said, then everyone will know who your teacher is. Everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Guys, in this conversation, Jesus pointed to the one specific behavior that was to be the identifying characteristic of his followers. Love was to serve as the unifying, identifying mark of a people who were in transition. In this new in-between space, loving as he loved would be the governing ethic, the standard, the guide by which all other behavior was going to be measured. Jesus is saying, speaking not only into that room, but all the way now into this room, saying that how we treat and how we talk about, and how we respect, and how we respond to, and how we care for one another is the identifying mark of a genuine Jesus follower. It's not what we believe. And maybe that's what you have heard before, that, that, that you are known by, by the truths that you hold and by the beliefs that you have. But nobody knows and nobody is better off because of what we believe. It's not knowing, it's doing. And it's not how we worship or praise. And maybe some of you growing up, maybe you, maybe you have heard or maybe you came to perhaps a conclusion that you thought that, you know what, the true follower of Jesus is known by his worship that he gives on one day a week. Where in fact the litmus test of being a card-carrying follower of Jesus is how we act, not just one day a week, but every day in that in-between space. And it does not involve anything remotely religious. It's relational. You see, woven into this command is, not, is, is just a little subtle shift from the vertical to the horizontal. The, the, the vertical, this idea that I've got to get closer to God versus Jesus saying, no, you need to be closer to one another. Jesus' followers were not expected to look up. They were expected to look around and then to love others like Jesus. It was and it is really that simple. But as author Bob Goff reminds us, what is simple is often not easy and what is easy often doesn't last. He says no one expects us to love flawlessly, but he writes we can love fearlessly, furiously, and unreasonably. 
But there always comes this time where we ask, but who in the world, I mean, who, who do we love like, like this? Who do we love like this? Well, I want to encourage you to start in the space that you're in. Specifically this morning, I want to encourage you to start right here. I, I want you to begin loving like Jesus right here. You see, so many of you are sitting right now with your family, and you need to be able to offer the same love Jesus gives to you to that person. And you're sitting in here with your brothers and sisters in Christ, and, and, and you, you, you vote differently, and you live in different locations, and you have different, different ideas in some ways, the, the way to live out the truths of Scripture. And you have all these different backgrounds, and you start loving like Jesus right here in this space. Right here. You see, you have a neighbor everywhere. Listen again to Bob Goff. I love this. He writes this in Everybody Always. Each of us is surrounded every day by our neighbors. They're ahead of us, behind us, on each side of us. They're every place that we go. They're sacking groceries and attending city council meetings. They're holding cardboard signs on street corners and raking leaves next to doors. They play high school football and deliver mail. They're heroes and hookers and pastors and pilots. They live on the streets and design our bridges. They go to seminaries and live in prisons. They govern us and they bother us. They're everywhere we look. It's one thing that we all have in common. We are all somebody's neighbor and they are ours. This has been God's simple yet brilliant master plan from the beginning. He made a whole world of neighbors. We call it earth, but God just calls it a really big neighborhood. Friends, sometimes we think we've got to go halfway around the world in order to love or that, that, that love, loving others, ha has to be some event that's able to be put on TV or, or broadcast on social media. And yet it really just starts with loving where you are and loving who you can. And when I say love who you can, it's not, boy, I can't love them, but I can love that person. No, it, it's, it's the idea that you might not be able to reach the person that's around the world, but you can reach the person that's in your living room. You might not be able to make a difference in the person that's living in Atlanta, but you can make a difference in the life of somebody that's here in Chattanooga. You love who you can. Finding a neighbor to love is not the problem, but choosing to give love is where we struggle. Let's just be honest. It's easy to love those who look like me and talk like me and vote like me and worship like me. We, we say, read what I read and listen to what I listen to and believe like I believe and I will love you. That's what's happening right now as our society becomes more polarized. But loving your neighbor isn't loving people like you. It is simply loving people near you. It's the person that you are able to contact. It's the person that you can send the text to. It's the person that you can visit. It's the person that you can have lunch with. It's the person that you can sit down and put your arm around. You love who you can. You love when you have the opportunity. You see, that's how Jesus loved. You don't have to do some great act, but if you want to be involved in a great act, that will change the world. Then start in your own backyard. Start at your school. Start at your school and start with your study group or, or start with your office team or, or start here with your church. Start with your in-laws. Start with your outlaws. Start wherever you are right now in your in-between space. 
You don't know what's going to happen next, but while you're here, while you're in this moment, and while all these different changes are taking place around you, you can make a difference. You can be a catalyst for good. And you can act totally different than the world around us, so filled with anxiety that they begin to go to their separate corners. And it's fight or flight or freeze. And it's I'm going to protect my own. But not you, because you are a child of God. And you are a follower of Jesus. And you are going to stand out because you are going to love. Like Jesus. But friends... You can't change your space until you allow God to make a change in you. You can't change your space until God changes you. And there are some of you here who God needs to work on your heart in order that your capacity to love others can be expanded. You are really good at loving some, but you struggle with loving all. Your patience and kindness has limits. Your acceptance is conditional. Your forgiveness is biased. And you, I need to be reminded of how Jesus loves me and you. The apostles would leave Jesus' table that night and they would step through a doorway into a different era. It was an unknown space. He would soon be gone. But because Jesus had, had accepted them at his table, they took that love that they had been shown. And they went as changed men and women into their gray zone. And they loved others the way that they had been loved by Jesus. And so church, let me call you to do the same to spend time with Jesus. If you haven't been in the Gospels recently, go there. If you haven't been in prayer, then do that. If you haven't been thinking about what it is that Jesus has done for you, if you allowed communion just to go by without a thought of the love and the sacrifice, yes, that was there, that that took that moment, then I pray that you would try to re-experience that again. Spend time with Jesus. And then just like last week I said, you need to pray, God bless this space. This week, you need to go and show. You need to go and show everyone who your teacher is. You see, every place that you step, every space that you inhabit, you are showing others at whose feet you worship. What have people learned about your teacher? Who would people say your teacher is based on the way you have treated other people? Let's spend some time with Jesus and let's go and show that he is our teacher. Father, thank you for loving us and thank you for showing us what love looks like, how that it is a demanding love, how it is a life changing love, how it is a, an all or nothing type of love, how it is a love that knows no boundaries and no bounds, how it is a love that is fierce, how it is a love that is overwhelming. Father, we've been able to experience that and we have, we have been able to marinate in that love, but 
Father, it can be so difficult, especially during, during times of, of change and anxiety. It can be so difficult to be able to just treat one another with the kindness and the compassion and the dignity and the respect that you have treated us with. It can be difficult to offer forgiveness. It can be difficult to run into another's pain. It can be, it can be so difficult to set aside our own emotions and to be able to, to share in the heartache of another. But Father, that's what you've called us for. You've called us to be changed in the space that we are in, that, that you have loved us so that we might be able to love others and so that the people that we love might be then able to love more deeper and, and the people that they love might be able to again love and then it just continues on and on and on. Father, we want the world to know that your son is our teacher. And so... Instead of praying, give us someone to love, Father, just, just remind us that the person that, that we need to be loving perhaps is sitting right next to us. The person that we need to be loving is, is right in front of us. It's right, they're right behind us. It's somebody that we're going to see today in the lobby. It's somebody that we're going to run into today at a restaurant. It's, it's the person that we're going to see at the grocery store. We're going to see them at work tomorrow. There, there's a neighbor that is all around us, and there's someone, Father, that that you want to love through us if we, would just, if we would just get over ourselves and humble ourselves. So Father, just as last week we prayed that you would bless our space, our prayer this week is that we would go and show that we have been taught by the Master, that we have been in the presence of Jesus and that he changed us and that that change is available for all. We look forward to that moment. May we not pass it up. In the name of Jesus, the one who showed us love, we pray. Amen. Church, we're going to sing and encourage one another. If you need to come, for whatever reason might be on your heart, to be baptized into Christ because of the love that Jesus has poured out on you, we'd love to celebrate. We've got a prayer room in the back in our lobby. If you'd just like to have some time of personal reflection with one of our shepherds here, we would encourage you to do that. Let's encourage one another. Be encouraged yourself. Embrace your space and love who you can. Let's stand and give him praise.